Hey, hello, and welcome to the Feel Strong Fitness Podcast. My name is Justin McClintock, and this week we have Natana Flynn on the podcast. Natana is a friend and colleague. She's on staff at Active Life, does a lot of work on the pro side, mentoring coaches through that education program. And one of the places I've been fortunate enough to be exposed to Tana a lot is every week she runs what we call the community call. And the community call is where everyone going through the coaching education program and a lot of the people who have gone through it show up. And there is less of a formal structure to these calls, meaning we're not going to solve a specific sales problem. We're not going to go over a particular orthopedic issue that we're programming around. It's really creating connections and facilitating communication. And Tana is an expert at facilitating communication. We spend a lot of time in this podcast talking about communicating, showing up as a listener, showing up as someone who asks good questions. We take a weird left turn on James Bond for a while, but I still think you're going to enjoy it. I'm very excited to say Tana Flynn is on the Feel Strong Podcast. Tana Flynn, welcome to the Feel Strong Podcast. Thank you for having me. Grateful to be here. I'm excited to have you here. I feel like this has been a long time coming. Not like you haven't been ditching me, but it's been something that's been on my mind to bring you on here for a long time. And I finally made the ask. Yeah, well, I appreciate you asking. Absolutely. I think my impression is that you are really, really good at reading people and really good at helping people become better communicators. Is that part of how you see yourself? Um. Yes, I, I do believe that part of how I see myself is that I, I listen very intently. Um, I have beliefs from where some of that comes from. Some of it has to do with my professional life now. Um, and it's become apparent to me over my adult life that communication is one of the highest, the best skills that we can have, right? Being a better communicator will help you in every facet of your life. So how it is important for me as a professional, as a parent, um, as a person to help people in that way, because I believe that some people don't have that recognition yet. The recognition of the importance of communication. Yes, correct. Now, when you talk about it, making you better in all these facets of life. Could you unpack that a little bit? What are we, in what way does being a better communicator make you so much better? Sure. Um, that's a loaded question. I think that it's easy to say being a better communicator makes you better in your relationships. So if you're struggling in any, any part of your relationships, whether that's your intimate relationships, your family relationships. Um, I have a bunch of kids, so relationships with my children and, and the people that I find most important to me, it's, it doesn't, how do I want to say this? If I don't do a good job communicating, then our relationships will not evolve the way that I would like them to. And I have to take responsibility for that. That's an interesting way to put it. Do you, so are you putting significant pressure on yourself when you're communicating with with any relationships, but certainly important relationships? I don't think that I see it as pressure. Um, I quite enjoy parts of that, right, where there are times where I get lackadaisical about communication, right, where you have a very comfortable relationship. Let's take a marriage, for instance. You You're married for a decent amount of time. You have this comfort in your communication and um, some of it gets lackadaisical. And I think that at times that becomes too prevalent where then you get into a, a conversation and you could very easily let things go, right? Because there's a certain level of comfort there. You could bring it back around at another time. Um, but I feel, I feel responsible in contributing to my husband in a certain way so that he can be better for himself, for the people around him, for what he does for work. So it's not pressure. It's more excitement. I'm like, it's time. It's time to ask a better question. It's time to try and get him to open up about this so that he can do that for other people as well. That totally resonates with me. I found myself 
you know, spending a lot of time trying to hone language and communication skills professionally and on social media and on podcasts and, and in all these different elements. And then getting excited to bring that to places that are even more important to me. Like I'm, I'm crafting and crafting and crafting. And then I get to walk into my house and be like, guess what I have? And it might be like a new way to start conversations at the dinner table or a new way to explore when something doesn't seem like it's going well. And it's not experimentation, but it is genuine excitement at, I think I might've gotten a little bit better at showing up in the way I would ultimately like to be able to show up for these people. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I totally resonate with that. And, and I see you as a type of person that is a very good communicator. And I know that you've been intentional about doing that. Well, and I think part of it, something you said earlier really resonated with me. And that was, you listen very intently. And mm -hmm. I had, I have very few notes for today, but one of my notes was the word present and something I've noticed. I've been fortunate enough to be in lots of conversations with you, either just one-on-one -on -one or with others and staying present in my opinion, is one of the, the best ways to show up, especially when there's more than one person in a conversation. If there's a, four or more people, in most instances, in my experience, one of those people is kind of just sitting waiting for their turn to talk, as opposed mm. to actually listening and being involved in what's going on. And you seem like someone who is extremely good at staying very, very present in the moment. And sometimes that means coming in with a plan and for the conversation or the the, the project or the presentation or the workshop and something happens, you're like, oh, the plan just got thrown away. We're doing something different now because this is too important. I'm changing course. Mm. Yeah, which happens often. All the time, but it's and it's potentially a scary thing to do. But I've also found that that skill translates very well in coaching, right? If you, mm. if mm -hmm. you always come in with a plan, but be ready to ditch that plan at a moment's notice. Being able to take that further and further with communication skills, conversations, presentations, I think is kind of a superpower that you are, have super developed. No, oh, well, I appreciate you saying that. Um, yeah, I, I, we were talking about this um, for everyone listening. I work for Active Life. Or we, I work with Active Life. And a big part of what we do is personal development. We are per, a personal development company. Um, just disguised as exercise. Um, so there's, there's this big piece of that, that a conversation we were having on staff and we were talking specifically around how are you, how do you know you're a good listener? How do you know that's true? And um, I don't think that it's this big, like multifaceted um, thing that's really scary and complicated. I think being a good listener is simply taking, being present, absorbing what they're saying, allowing yourself the time to process it, and then responding with a question based off something that you heard so that you can gain clarity on what exactly they are talking about in order to produce better outcomes. Right. And so a lot of that takes practice. Now, I wasn't always very good at this, I wouldn't say. I would say oftentimes previously, um, something I struggled with was wanting to fill space. Right. so when somebody would talk, I would be like, what do I need to say next? How do I respond to this? Should I ask a question? Should I give advice? Right. Um, and I don't know. I, I'm sure that it was someone like Larry who pointed out like, hey, let that sit a little bit longer. And um, I started doing that very intentionally. And what I noticed is that by me responding too quick to fill that space, which is human nature, right? Let me fill this space kind of uncomfortable, um, is that I was able to really pick up on certain words or cues that they were saying and to just go, can I ask you a question about something that you specifically said there? Rarely people say no. I don't know that I've ever had it happen, right? And so you can say, okay, great. You said something to the extent of this. Do you feel this way about that? Can we get a little bit more clarity there, right? And so all that's doing is giving them the space to open up more. And what I imagine is happening for them is that they're like, oh, wow, this person is actually interested in what I have to say. And is not going to just go like, well, I have a plan. This is about me. Let's move on. And 
for those of us who vol- who value vulnerability and transparency and like recognize how much good there is in that it also gives people the space to help make that connection by which i mean i I can be more specific about this if you are in a conversation or ask someone a question and they give you the answer and you just shut up for five seconds a fair amount of the time they'll start telling you the rest of the story because they realize that you're waiting it obviously seems incomplete and that's what you're doing I wonder if Tana has more to say. And then we'll mm-hmm. add to that and add to that. Should, oh, now we're getting, okay, now I understand. Thank you for adding that. Now I have a little more context. Can I dig into one part of that? Is, is mm-hmm. that okay? And this isn't done well. This certainly can be done poorly. There, there's, a, there's a version of this peddled by the worst sales gurus on the planet, which is how to manipulate friends and demolish your enemies and that kind of stuff. And it's the same skill applied ethically and empathetically where if you're genuinely interested in people and this is what whenever i'm having sales conversations conversations about how to be good at sales with people my number one suggestion is be interested actually like be genuinely interested in the person you're talking to what they're going through what they need maybe it has something to do with what you have to offer maybe it doesn't but if you listen you'll have a much better chance of understanding what the solution might be if you're just like waiting to go through your shtick and go through your script, whatever it is, people will smell it a mile away and it's never going to work. And the same thing happens for personal communication. If you're coming in, you're like, OK, I learned about love language today, so I'm going to ask six awesome questions and determine what someone's love language is. Whereas the first question may have opened a door you didn't see coming. You're like, oh, actually, it's time to talk about trauma. Oh, I thought we were going to talk about love languages, but I guess we're talking about trauma today. And that can be very powerful but can also be a little scary sure i think scary is a very appropriate word to use there um and you said something that i'd like to talk a little bit more about um oh being genuinely interested right the the power play is being genuinely interested right and i think the reason that that's really important is because we very much so live in in a world where the the person talking is trying to get something across and they their plan is the important piece, right? They're like, yeah, but I got I have stuff I want to talk about. Like, I want to be heard. So I'm going to do all the talking. And what they end up doing is pushing away the person that they're speaking to, right? Because they haven't dived into whether or not that person wants to talk about that thing. Is it important for them to talk about? If they start talking back, are we going to take a pause and dive more into that? Probably not. Like more often than not, the person is just like, oh, I have an, I have an intent for this, right? Like you said, there's an, a, people smell intent from a mile away. How do you want your intention to smell? And with someone like that, depending on the situation, certainly sometimes it is, oh, you just came here to talk at me. Okay. Mm. And depending on what it is, like, so, yeah, I'll let you talk at me. You can, you're upset or have a thing to say or like absolutely that that doesn't mean i'm not listening but it's it's evident that you're not looking for feedback right now all right let me have it sometimes people are trying to do a good job but they're trying to win the conversation yes which might sound a little bit mean but they're coming in like i'm going to be so good at conversation and i'm i'm charming and impressive and i'm going to do all of these things and wait till you see me coming and you're like "Ah, all right this is all tiring and we're going to have to derail you a couple of times to make this better but okay i can see like you're trying but you can't you can't win this sort of thing and that competitive nature while it might bring the right impulse can lead to some messy conversations sure and i think that for a lot of people the thing they're thinking about is bringing value to the conversation so they're trying to do a good job like you said They want to show up in a certain kind of way. And they're like, how can I make this conversation valuable? So they're like, I know all these things. I have this really great information to provide. Let me dump it on them. Right. And in turn, all they're doing is pushing that person away because they haven't shown that genuine interest we were talking about before. Right. If we wanted to bring more value to conversations, we would want to know more about the person we're talking to. Exactly. Exactly. The, per- the most interesting person in a conversation is the person listening most of the time. 
Mm. And everybody, even at a very low level, would prefer to be talking about themselves and very much would like people to be interested in them. If you discover that's true, you already like that person more. Mm-hmm. Right? I have found in my, my, my limited, I guess not that limited, but time podcasting, when people show up, people are excited to talk about themselves. Even like getting invited to do a podcast in 2023 for a bunch of people. Like, oh, really? Oh, that's yeah, of course I would do it. That, that's so cool. And just that moment can be enough to lead people to a more interesting conversation than we would have in exactly the same situation, but the record button had been pushed. Mm. Yeah, I could. So I could totally see that. I was excited when you invited me to come on your podcast. And I was I'm excited to have you here. And that's not um, I don't mean that as a put down to anyone, but it's analogous to, you know, tell me about yourself and then asking another question in a conversational setting. Be like, oh, oh, you're actually interested. Oh, you actually want to talk about this. Oh, okay. You're like setting aside time and doing a whole thing. This is, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's actually talk. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. And I think when you say like something to the, the, you know, you said it just then, um, tell me about yourself. Like that's almost too open-ended where people are like, "Mm, well, I have a dog. (laughs) Yeah. So how, how do you niche that down a little bit? Like what specifically interests you about that person? What is something you've gathered from them? Do you have not a go-to question, but an example of a question you would use in a situation like that? Is this with like a new person? Sure. Mm, yeah, I think. Let's uh, say, uh, let, so let's, uh, so social, social non-professional setting, you know, some people, but not everyone. And you end up for some reason one-on-one with a person you don't know very well, but they got into, invited to this party, so they're probably not dangerous. Okay, yeah, great. Uh, I typically have two go-to questions. This is something that I have thought about. Um, not that I find myself in like large social settings often, but uh, I typically go with, what is something that you enjoy doing outside of work, home, kids, relationships? Um, the other one, what do you love about what you do? Those are my go-tos. Those are great. And that's two sides of the same coin, right? Sure. Yeah, I think really you, nice. cho- you choose it based off of any sort of context from that you may have gathered from before or, or the setting that you're in. But it also gives them a fair amount of leeway for how they interpret that, right? Because they could take it like, oh, like, or do you want to talk about my, my hobbies or my vacation time or the how what I like doing on social media or how I how I spend my outdoor time or how I spend my indoor time or all of that stuff or what do you like about what you do like oh well I wonder if I wonder if she means like professionally which is probably how most people would take it but like Mm -hmm. or how I spend the rest of my time or my family time or oh like yeah so this is I'm going to pick this thing to talk about and now they have a little bit of passion and they're all bought in so it's at least going to be a more interesting conversation which is Mm -hmm always the win. That's the beauty of that question is that they then get to lead with the thing that they generally do have passion about, which becomes very exciting for me as the listener, because there's nothing more exciting to me than when someone lights up about whatever they're talking about. I used to ask people, um, what kind of nerd are you? Because I, oh. I, I developed this theory, and I'm sure, I, I'm sure I didn't develop it. It came from somewhere else. But the idea that everyone is a nerd about at least something. Like, what's that thing that, like, you like a little bit more than other people like it, and you're a little bit of an expert on, and you, you think it's kind of cool? What's that, what's that thing? Like, what kind of nerd are you? It doesn't have to be, like, that, that very traditional, um, it's not math or school or video games or comic books. I guess comic books aren't even nerdy anymore, but... That can, maybe video games aren't nerdy anymore. Uh, nerds are evolving, but those uh, being ideas a nerd is actually cool. It's come around again, yeah. So now all the nerds are looking at the quote-unquote nerds, wondering what's going on. But mm-hmm. for like, I don't know if this is true, but it wouldn't shock me if you were like, "Oh yeah, I'm a horse nerd." Like rock and roll. I know nothing. <laughs> can we talk about it? Like I'm so interested in people's the thing that people like. Hmm. I have to know what are you a nerd about. Um, a bunch of stuff. I would, uh, right now, I'm going through a hard James Bond nerd phase. Oh, what sparked that? I don't know. 
but it's been it's been like bubbling up and down for years. But I think it's weird because most most James Bond nerds are dudes. Most dudes James Bond nerdery started when they were eh, nine to fifteen and kind of saw their first one and that drew them in. I didn't care until I was thirty. And then I got in really hard and I found a podcast that was talking about it, that two guys who like knew a lot about it, but were funny. And I became so interested. And now I like, it's often the thing I'll put up in the background when I'm working. A James Bond movie will just be playing. And I'd be like, oh, right. That actor does this. And he also shows up in this other piece. And they couldn't say this word because there was that lawsuit going on. Right. I know what's going on right now. Like, it's not super deep nerdery, but a little bit. What about yourself? That was unfair. I asked that what? to cut you off from asking more questions. Would you like to talk more about that? Uh, I simply want to know what you've enjoyed about diving down the James Bond nerdery tunnel. I think it's it's a franchise across such a long time. They just had the 25th film came out last year and it started in 1962, I believe. Um, not a lot has lasted that long. Not a lot has produced that much stuff and watching the way it has changed over the years, which is really significantly sometimes desperate to keep up with the times because they were kind of aware they were being left behind, sometimes making kind of bold leaps forward, as well as a complicated relationship with, you know, they came out of this series of books, which are pretty good reading, but very mired in 1940s, 1950s. There's a lot of racism. There's a lot of homophobia. There's like the books are, you know, of their time in a very significant way. And watching them continue to wrestle with this and with the character being a deeply flawed dude struggling to do really good work is more interesting to me than most good guy heroes. Like even in the books, he's presented as um, a deeply flawed, really problematic person who has a lot going on. You know, maybe not someone you would ever actually want at a party, despite how charming and lovely he can come off he's actually like pretty dark and pretty messed up. And there's a reason he only works alone. And it's an interesting journey to watch these, this, this kind of character get struggled through decades on decades and decades and people's interpretation and trying to keep up with different movie genres and that kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, I, I think it's fascinating. I think that's really cool. I would be way more inclined to learn about James Bond. If somebody pitched it to me the way that you just did, instead of what you're used to hearing from oh james bond is da 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 a spy etc or even the the james bond is you know he's a dinosaur misogynist or uh you know behind the times like i get it you want to talk about it like mm. i think that's part of the interesting thing like you're not wrong some of the movies are terrible sure. i like some of the terrible movies the best you seen a view to a kill christopher walken being nuts talking about horses yeah <laughs> let's do it 90 minutes on horses spoiler the horses do not factor into the plot I don't know why we spend 90 minutes talking about horses. It's weird. Oh, some weird movies are the best. I agree with you. Speaking of horses, what kind of nerd are you? I am new to the horse world, so I do have a horse. So I think that it's very easy for people to say like, oh, you're probably a horse nerd. Um, I've, I've just recently really dwelled into that over the past couple of years. So I slight nerdiness because I have a very strong um appetite for learning more though it's not something that I like go crazy over right like I'm not like researching constantly um I like to learn that nerd side of things when it comes to horses by experience mostly and then listening to other people that have a lot more experience than I do talk and um the way they present around horses the way that they do things um you know horsemanship other things and I, I like to take all of that in. So I guess you could say I'm a nerd in that regard. Um, there are a lot of other pieces that come into play there. And and part of the thing that I'm also a nerd about is um, kind of kind of mixed. But I really love vulnerability. Really, really into that right now. I'm sure that's been kind of obvious to you over the course of the last few months with our calls. Um, and then how that how that contributes to parenting. Um, and like I said before, I have a mess of kids. You know that for the listeners, I have five kids. Um, and I, and I'm of strong belief that raising my five kids is one of the biggest things, the biggest way I'll contribute to the world at large. 
um, because they, they are going to go out into society and it's important for me to know that they're going to be good people and they're going to contribute in a certain kind of way. And so to tie all of this together, one of the reasons that I got a horse was because I wanted my kids to contribute to a life in in that kind of way that they have to care for, that they have to do gross jobs, right? Like every couple of times a week, my kids are out at the barn mucking his paddock and it smells, it's hot, there's bugs. We live in South Georgia. There are bugs everywhere, okay? Um, and and they do complain sometimes. One of them, not really, um, but they do complain sometimes. But like that, that to me is is piece of making them good members of society, right? Like I do not want them to grow up and feel like they should be entitled to anything. They need to earn it. They need to work for it. They need to know that all jobs matter, the little ones too, and that nothing is above them. Okay, so if that means that you start at the job of your dreams cleaning toilets, you better do a damn good job cleaning toilets. Because you know what? Clean toilets contribute to people's lives. Clean horse paddock contributes to his life. There's the connection. That's wonderful. I love that. Do you think, I thought of this before, and I'm, I'm, I've struggled with how to construct it. I should have tried writing it down, but I didn't. <laughs> I think sometimes you're so good on these group calls and as a mentor, I hear over and over from your mentees within Active Life, how helpful you are and how you help them bring clarity to the situation and give them direction and more than technical skill, more than, oh, you want to do this? Here's A, B, C, D, go implement these steps. Let me know when you're done and I'll tell you what E and F are. It's, you know, go think about this. Go have these kind of conversations, like start deciding the kind of person, the kind of professional, the kind of father, the kind of community member you want to be. And then we can start reverse engineering that. And if we aim toward that, the middle stuff actually becomes kind of straightforward, which is a, a macro version of how I think of almost any kind of quote unquote program. Like, tell me what the dream is. And then we can reverse engineer it. And yeah, maybe it's a 15 year project. That's cool. We can reverse engineer a 15 year project. I'm not worried about that. And being so intentional and transparent about how important motherhood is to you. If people start thinking of you as like a mother figure on these calls and how that and whether that was cool or not cool or misplaced or incomplete. I don't know if I have an answer for you. I feel like I should turn around and ask you the same question. Is that something that you've perceived from being on the calls or from listening to interactions that I've had with, with my mentees? And um, if it's true, I'm totally cool with it. Um, I, you know, I guess I, we're going to keep going back and forth a little while, but I think I, my next question would be like, well, I don't know. What does motherhood mean to you? Because it means a lot of things to a lot of different people and people's relationships with their mothers or their experience of motherhood is going to be very, very different. So maybe a better question is, is the way that you're approaching all of the communication and character building and value forming in your family, are you bringing that to all of these other conversations that you're having intentionally? Or is it, is it, a, is it a different hat you're putting on? Does like mom hat come off and slightly different professional mentor hat goes on because, eh, you know, there's some things that I would never do here that I do here and vice versa. So it's, it's actually, you know, I could see why you think that, but it's actually a different thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I see where you're coming from. Um, I think the answer is yes and no. I think there are a lot of things that, uh, there's a lot of cross connections there. Um, but I do think the hats are slightly different. Um, I think that the thing that loops all of it together is, is genuine empathy, right? Genuinely, I want to know and understand that person, whether it's my kid, whether it's my mentee, whether it's someone I don't know. Um, and, and that's the connection. Um, I would, I definitely do things parenting differently than I would do with my mentees. Um, I can be very direct when it's necessary, both in parenting and with, um, with my clients or my mentees. Um, 
I am likely a bit harder on my own children than I am my mentees. And I think that goes back to the comfort of relationships, right? My kids have been with me their entire life. They have seen the good, the bad, the ugly, the in-between, um, for the most part. Obviously, I have little ones that are still understanding that, you know, like my, my oldest daughter, I'm sure, could give you a play-by-play -play of, of things I do that maybe she doesn't love and that, that come very directly and that maybe I wouldn't do with, with my mentees or in, in a group call, though the thing that is consistent is empathy. The other thing that is consistent is challenge. When you say challenge, what do you mean? Um, not accepting status quo. Okay, so for instance, if we talk about um, in relation to parenting, my kids say things a lot, like not a lot. They used to. They've learned. Um, oh, I can't do that. Is it that you can't do it? Is it that you haven't tried? Is it that you don't have access to that skill yet? Is it that you're uninterested in learning? Because there's a difference. And we're challenging their language in, in different aspects or um, challenging the way they show up, challenging the way they think about other people, challenging the way they perceive things. And that that's very similar on the the mentor side of things is that it's unlikely that any of my mentees can tell you that they haven't been challenged. And that's on purpose. I know because I've asked what it is that they desire out of their life. What's the big, what's the big picture? Like we were talking about, what's the 10 years, 15 years down the road? What does your life look like? Not only professionally, what are your relationships like? What do you spend your time on? What do your finances look like? What do you do for fun, right? How do you serve people? How do you give back to your community? And so by understanding that, I am going to make sure to challenge them to ensure that Whatever they are saying matches up with the thing they told me that they wanted. Is that how you is that part of the way that you determine whether or not you're being successful in that role? I think so. Yeah, I think so. I think that it's it's my responsibility to help them get to whatever they've presented as success for them. And I think um, success looks different for every single person. So by not defining it as a disservice to start. And if. If they've said to me, you know, this is what success would look like. And I can pull, I can extract from that markers. Okay. In three months on the way to that goal, would you consider this successful? Yes. Great. I can use that as a measure. And okay, so to answer your question, yes, I believe so. So what does success look like for you? Oh, you know, no one really asks me these questions. I'm always the one asking, so I appreciate you doing it. Um, it. It always catches me off guard for some reason. Why? I haven't really sat down with that long enough to discover why. But every time someone turns around and asks me a question, I'm like, hey, that was a great freaking question. Um, so, yeah, I think success for me looks like it looks like freedom. Right. And so I, I know that's a very broad, open-ended thing. But we talk a lot about freedoms, right? Certain types of freedoms, time freedoms, financial freedoms, relationship freedoms, um, health freedoms, physical freedom. And so success to me is looking at those five pillars of freedom and saying, I have this, I have access to this, right? My relationships are in a good place. My I have time to do the things that I love to do, right? I spend time with my horse. That's part of my time freedom. Um, the financial side of things, okay, horses are expensive. So that, that loops in there too, right? Like, and I want to travel. I want to travel so badly to all of the places, like very envious of your Scotland trip. Um, and so, you know, like, okay, I want to travel more. Each year, I've set a goal for myself to travel somewhere that I've wanted to travel to. Okay, so I'm using that as a kind of a marker for financial success. If I have the capability of doing that, then that's that's that freedom. The, so feeling comfortable and certain that you're able to make plans to travel coming up is a good marker that things are more or less where you would like them to be. Mm hmm. Is there, and I'm 
very comfortable with a no answer to this. But you told a couple weeks ago a story about your daughter uh, leaving a sports team, which was mm-hmm. inspiring and demonstrative. Would you mm-hmm. be open to sharing that? Of course. Um, one of the things that I don't do well, admittedly, is repeat things back exactly the same way I presented them before. And I'm sure you've noticed this in calls and someone says, like, can you repeat that back? The answer is likely no. Um, it's it came out. It's gone. Hopefully it came out wonderfully. Well, and that's um, just to add in, that's part of being super present, right? You're not you're not crafting that like, oh, this is going to be so good. I've got these two sentences ready to go. You're genuinely responding. You're genuinely inquiring. And as it comes out now, you're, you're sitting ready to listen and you weren't listening to yourself. You weren't you weren't right. doing that. But then the other side of that is because I've absolutely been here and seen it with other people who I respect as communicators. It goes out. and You're like, can you say that again? You're like, no, no, I don't know what it was. I'm glad you liked it. We had a call. Yeah, we had a call a couple hours ago and I got a big compliment on something I said. And I was like, I wonder what it was. I'm going to go watch it back because I really don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, there you go. You're present also. And that's that's appreciated by people. And I think sometimes and I, I will get to the story in a second. Um, And I think sometimes when we have to say, no, I can't repeat it back, at least for myself, I'm almost like, am I doing them a disservice by not being able to repeat what I just said? So I appreciate you saying, hey, that's part of being present and it's intentional that you're listening and you're ready for the next thing. You're not listening to yourself. So I really appreciate you saying that. Um, Yeah, but to move on to the story, my daughter is 14. Um, She'll be 15 in November. She is by far and large, more mature than any 14-year-old kid I have ever met. And she's an athlete. Um, It is a big piece of her identity. We do work at at Nausum on making sure that she understands that that's not only who she is. Um, She plays softball and she plays lacrosse. She plays club team or travel team year-round. She also plays for her school. Um, And she was on a travel softball team that last season in the fall was good for her. We perceived it as being good. She was what she was marketing as success for her was happening. Um, and in softball, that's typically like batting average fielding area percentage goes down. Right. And she was happy then. And then it came around, um, to the next season. I'm not really sure what happened. I could speculate. That's not my, not my place to do there. Um, She was unhappy. She was being talked to poorly. She was being treated poorly by um, a a kid on the team. And and much to her credit, she's not the kind of person that sits back and takes that. And I love when I hear her say this because I know she gets it from me. But she says she often says you get what you tolerate. And every time she says it, I almost tear up just a little bit because I know she's listening. And it's cliche to say, oh, your kids are always listening. Your kids are always watching. It is true. So when she says that, I get really excited because I'm like, oh, it's so true. I wish more people understood that. Right. And um, so to go back, she was being treated poorly, um, you know, and and we had made a decision for for our family's well-being and for her well-being in particular, that if this was no longer a good fit for her and she needed to move on from it, she struggled immensely with this decision because she is she is overcommitted, like dedicated to a fault. She believes in doing the things that she says she's going to do. She believes in honoring commitments and she had made a commitment. And so that's the thing she was really struggling with. Um, We kept having conversations about it and we let this be her decision. I did not want to go in and say, you need to leave this team. It's unhealthy. The way you're being treated is poor. I I wanted to develop her in such a way and have conversations in such a way and ask the right questions so that she could go, you're right. This is, this is not good for me. And I get to feel okay making this decision for myself. And so I said, okay, great. We had come to this decision. Um, We're going to have a conversation with the coach. And my husband and I were like, okay, we'll call him. And she was like, no, I'll call him. And I was hesitant at first because I'm like, I feel like this is as a parent kind of a thing that's a little iffy. Like maybe we should have the conversation. And she was like, 
it's, it's my decision. It's not your decision. And I want him to know exactly the way I feel about why I'm leaving. And so I'm like, okay, I will let you call. I will simply sit there and listen in case something gets out of hand. Um, because mama bear instincts, if something gets out of hand, this person is in trouble. Yeah. So she says she calls him and, um, he was not mature about it. It, Like to be frank. And he's an adult. Um, he said basically she was being a coward that the grass isn't always greener on the other side and her leaving is, is cowardly. And, um, you know, she was like, you can think that I, if that's what you want to believe, but what you need to understand is that I have, I have decided to not tolerate this anymore and that I have, I have more maturity than I believe that you do. And that's part of the reason why I'm leaving. And I was really, really freaking proud of her. She didn't, she didn't slander. She and she could have, she had every reason to, to be ugly, to say things about the way that he behaved or treated her or um, the things that he tolerated on the team. And she didn't, she took the high road. You know, she said, I, I can't do this anymore. And I disagreed with the way that you feel, but I understand that you feel that way. And I think in most kids her age, one wouldn't have had that conversation themselves and two wouldn't have responded in that way. That is just amazing. And it's amazing on, uh, let's talk about it for a second because I think it's amazing on several levels. First of all, uh, and this may be slightly a, a generational thing. My parents had no idea when I was being bullied or what was going on on teams <laughs> or who was picking on me or that kind of stuff, which was a significant portion of my life up till like, like age 15, I grew nine inches and put on 30 pounds and everything got a lot easier. But up till <laughs> then, it was really tough. But no one knew about it. And that might be a thing like uh, we certainly didn't communicate the way you and I are talking about communicating. I love my parents had a great upbringing. They did very well. We still talk all that, but it's, it's just different. It's a different kind of communication. Mm-hmm. So that's impressive. But also the maturity to realize that she is capable of having this conversation and doing it civilly. But also it sounds like learning exactly the kind of people she wants to be around and determining when being surrounded by these people is no longer beneficial and just making that decision. And, you know, it sounds, you know, contentious, but as pleasant as it could have gone dealing with someone like this coach sounds like, uh, people are really bad at that today. People won't cut bad friends or toxic people out of their, their social circle or family or professional life or whatever. And it eats and eats and eats and eats at them. And to be able to do that at 14 is really impressive. Yeah, I agree. And I agree with what you said about uh, people struggling to cut people out of their lives. And a lot of times those people are your family or friends that you've had for a really long time or um, co-workers that you you see on a regular basis that you struggle to separate yourselves from and and in a way to protect yourself. Um, And the people that do it when it happens for them, and we've seen this time and time again, right through um, the active life professional program and the the pro path gyms, when people come off and say, I realized what I needed to do in order to really grow. And it was to separate myself from the type of people that didn't aspire to see that happen for me. And it's like a massive light bulb moment. Like when it, they're afraid, right? Like there's a lot of fear around cutting ties with people you have relationships with, um, particularly when it comes to family or close friends. And, and once they do it, it's almost like, why was I so afraid of doing that? Yeah. But we work up, we work up the what ifs in our head, right? We, we, well, what if this happens? Okay, well, what if you continue to exist in the way you exist with these relationships? Inaction also has consequences. Sure. Yeah, the, the, which is I talk with you know, potential clients and coaches and, and people all the time. And especially even if they're just making a decision about to start a program or an educational program or something like that, and they're on the fence. And we'll talk through it. Say, okay, so what are the like, I, the pros seem pretty straightforward. You understand the benefits of this. 
what are what are the bad things that are going to happen to you if you don't make this decision? And if you don't make this decision right now, you just told me this is the perfect thing. You believe that this is the right program. This person is no good for you. You know that this job situation is something that isn't working and hasn't been working. If you don't change this, what's true one year from now? Are we still having this conversation? Is that acceptable? And now we're back to like, well, what are you going to tolerate? If you're not going to make the change, mm-hmm. then you're saying you're okay with this. And I'm deeply aware that this can be a complicated conversation. I've had, you know, endless, especially professional, but personal conversations with people who are like, well, I, I can't change this because of this outstanding thing. Because, you know, if I miss two paychecks, my family's in a lot of trouble because I had mm-hmm. a kid with this jerk and now I'm stuck here because like there's, there's lots of compelling reasons why you need to find ways to work with it. But sometimes making that big change is exactly the right answer as terrifying as it may be in the time. Right. It's that cost of inaction. Yeah. The cost of inaction is enormous. That's true. It is. One of the things I've been most impressed about with, especially your, your, the community calls that you run with active life is most people would, one would assume that everyone shows up and everyone is trying to win that everyone would be in competition with each other. And I think mm. certainly Active Life and Dr. Sean and, and the staff in general, but you especially have done a really good job fostering a place where everybody genuinely wants everybody else to win. And it is a, a remarkably generous a remarkably supportive place. And I've said this before, but it was not what I expected. I was, I couldn't have cared less about the, community calls or, or communication groups or stuff coming in. Is that sense of non-competition intentional? Was that part of the goal? Or is it a lovely side effect of all the other things? That's a great question. Um, and I really appreciated the way that you were vulnerable about the way you felt coming into the program. Um, I think that's a really good perspective that more people maybe need to hear. Um, because I think a lot of times we assume that people want to be a part of something. and and maybe we didn't ask the right question to figure out if that was true or not back to great question asking. Um, but yes, it, it was intentional to a degree. The way that it has bloomed has been more than I ever imagined that it would be. I think it's one of the most magical things about what's going on with that community right now, because, and that, that intention that everybody genuinely wants everyone else to win the I believe the side effect of that is generosity and the side effect of that is support and people saying, Hey, does anyone have an example of a contract? Like here, here's my contract, fill in the blanks. Does anyone have like Mm -hmm. a flyer? Oh, here's my flyer and it's editable. Uh, Put your branding in here. I suggest using this printer Oh, here. And that that kind of ridiculous generosity um, and possibly unearned generosity because people are genuinely showing up trying to see what they can do to help other people succeed and providing that value they get other than maybe feeling good, they get absolutely no return on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And a lot of the conversations we've been having are around giving, right. And giving with no expectation of receiving. And I believe that that, that is the one thing that if I could say anything about about our community is it is so strong and it's almost expected. And I believe we could make it more expected when people come in, right? Like the last thing we want is for someone to come in and not represent in that kind of way. Well, I'm not really interested in giving. I'm only interested in receiving. I think you may be in the wrong place. All right. Um, uh, yeah, it's a, it's amazing. It's incredible to watch. It's um, it gives me all the warms and fuzzies all the time. And um, I know I could talk. I think I could talk all day about that one that one particular thing. So anything specific that you want to know about it, I'm happy to entertain. Well, I would I would I would slightly challenge you on something you said, where if someone shows up waiting to receive and not willing to give. I think that's a perfectly normal way to for a lot of people to show up initially to that situation, which is I just paid a boatload of money for education, technical skills. I I gave you money. You're going to give me stuff to make my professional life better. Give it. 
come on, let's go do the thing. Talk, talk to me, put me through whatever I'm supposed to do to make me better. And it, it, and we've seen this, you know, sometimes it takes a few weeks, but people realize what's going on. And then they kind of like, oh, it's safe to actually like lower my defenses a little bit because these people aren't, aren't competing with me. Oh, they're sharing so much stuff. Oh, oh, you know what? I have this little, my little piece of expertise. You know, I'm actually, I'm a nerd about this kind of professional thing that, that you guys aren't talking about. Can I bring some, you know, postnatal wisdom to you? Can I bring some marketing wisdom to you? Can I bring some uh, boot camp in the park, you know, tricks that I, I've learned over the years? Here's what's worked for me. And suddenly they, the person who showed up with no intention of giving, because what are you talking about? Like, you're supposed to service me, is now part of a living, breathing thing that in and of itself is making them better. Mm. Yeah. And I guess I'll return your challenge here is that intentionally, if someone comes in that way, it is our, our role as members of active life of as mentors to over deliver to them, to give to them so much that they feel no other way than to do it back. Yeah. And that's sometimes right. we talk so about it's it. Not, Go ahead. No, I was going to say it's not necessarily that it's like, hey, you're in the wrong place, but let's establish whether or not that's true. I'm going to over deliver like crazy and see how you respond. Yeah. And if, if someone and shows if I up, know something, mm -hmm. sorry. No, I, I think we're saying the I, same I, thing. Yeah. And I think if like to your point about them having a certain expertise, if I know something about you, I'm going to make sure everyone else knows about it. Hey, you know who would be really great to talk to about? Justin. He knows a lot about that. And then when they start receiving messages or, or what we like to call the white glove handoff, I link you with somebody else in the community. And I'm like, hey, Justin, so-and-so here, we were in conversation. They're struggling with this thing. I know you're really great at that based off the conversations that we have. Do you mind opening up a conversation with this person and sharing? Then it's like, oh, you want to know what I have to offer? Then it changes. And again, we're back to having great conversations and asking great questions. Hey, I think this is incredibly interesting and you're an expert at it. Would you mind sharing with my friend here who needs exactly what you have, all of your expertise? And mm -hmm. unless you're very wrong, most people are going to say, oh, oh, yeah, I didn't I didn't. Maybe they didn't realize they were uniquely suited to talk about that. But, oh, yeah, I, c I can tell you what I know. I, I didn't I didn't even realize I had this much value. Mm. Well, OK, there you go. I didn't realize I had that much value. I think as people in general, we we subdue the things we're very good at. Right. Like we don't want to talk about the things that we do really, really well. Um, and whether that where that comes from is is unique to each person's story. But when someone is constantly going, this person is really good at this, you know, that's that's affirming for them that they're doing the right thing and they're going to want to do it more. Right. So when someone's like, hey, you're like really good at asking questions. Can I ask you how you do that? I'm like, fuck, yeah, let's jam. Let's get into it. Yep. Yeah. And just to go back to the what you were talking about, with the community, the community call and the the lack of competition there within those groups of people. Um, and I think I said this on today's community call, but it's a, it's a you win, I win collective. We are on the same mission. We have the same values. We share beliefs and we don't get there without everyone that's in it winning. It doesn't happen, right? The, the mission does not grow. Unless we're like, just let's win. Everybody win. I want to contribute to your winning. And overwhelming people with that giving that you were mentioning earlier, especially if someone comes up, you know, kind of on the button or maybe we're not sure that this is they're even in the right place. Like, OK, what happens if I completely overwhelm you with value and give you more than you could have ever hoped for and make this like, what can I do to make this a day you're going to remember? And I think about I tell coaches to think about this, even working one on one with with people like you're having, you know, all right, you've got your fourth session of the day. What are you going to do to make someone think that there's video cameras hidden around the gym? And this has to be a marketing video because it's never this good. No one would ever like this is ridiculous. How do you 
show up that way. And if you aim there, even if you miss, it's going to be awfully good. And if you hit, you stand a very good chance of making both of your experiences significantly more value going forward. For sure. Yeah. And I think that sometimes when people hear over delivering, they start thinking like, oh, there has to be like grand gestures of over delivering. And it's not complicated, right? Like over delivering on value. It goes back to everything we've been talking about over the course of the last hour. It's being genuinely interested. It's caring in a way that that other people may not in their lives. It's challenging them in ways that other people may not be doing for them so that they can have the things that they desire. It's using their name. It's remembering details about their life. And and when you look at it that way, it becomes so much less overwhelming, right? Like, oh, I just have to be a really good person and that's over delivering on value. Yeah. It is. Imagine if every person treated people that way. Think, think about the impact, the ripple effect of that. And how little time it often takes. Like to, to double down on what you were saying, mm. you don't need to send a case of champagne to your favorite client. You could if you want to, but eh, for the right person, that'll hit. But for a lot of people, it won't. But texting them on a day where you don't plan on seeing them and checking in on how something is going will, can knock people's socks off. All of For 10 sure. seconds of work. Mm-hmm. But you have to remember to do it. And I think that becomes easy when you're in the right place, when you're surrounded by the right people and people give to you, you feel inclined to give back. A hundred percent. I think we can probably end on this or something like this, but, uh, it really annoyed me a couple of weeks ago when you posted something on social media because it was so good and so succinct that I was I was really put out that I hadn't come up with it myself. And it just doesn't happen that I'm not like a copy master, but it's like, God, that's that's just my kind of thing. And I didn't say it. And it was mm. you can't compete with me. I want you to win, too. And immediately I wanted it on T-shirts and leather jackets and emblazoned over the town as you ride into the town and just that thing to be everywhere because it seems like such a succinct underpinning to everything we've been talking about. Like If you approach conversations this way, if you approach your relationship this way, if you approach your family life this way, if you approach it when someone cuts you off in traffic, like if, you, if, if that is an underpinning value of yours, everything else becomes easy and more obvious and less stressful. Yeah, I agree. I, uh, I love the, that you sent that you were going to post it for feel strong. Um, I felt incredibly honored that you loved it so much. And, uh, one of our staff members had responded to it and he said, he said, uh, describe yourself in two sentences or less. And, you know, everyone going, Oh, that's tough. And he says, oh, Tana goes, hold my margarita, uh, which I think is really funny, because if I were to have a, a cocktail, it would likely be a margarita, specifically a recipe of his. Um, and I started thinking about that. And I'm like, you know what? He's right. He's right. And I have to show myself appreciation that that is the kind of person I am, because I, I really believe in that. I don't I don't compete with anyone because. It's my goal every day to make sure that everyone else wins, to include myself. I, I think I think you're succeeding. I think that comes through, obviously, and uh, you're to be applauded for it and, frankly, a model for a lot of people. Well, I appreciate you saying that. Tana, thank you very much for coming on. Do you want to send people anywhere, plug away, send them to socials or something you think they should do to find out more about you or what you do? Mm, sure. Um, you can follow me on social media it's, or on Instagram. It's at in.with.flins, F-L-Y-N-N-S. Um, I do work for Active Life on the professional side. So please follow at Active Life Professional if you're interested in learning about what Active Life is. And a lot of the things that we've been talking about today, you can go to the Active Life Professional Instagram Click on the link that says, what is active life and learn more about the mission that we are all on collectively. 
Yeah, that's a really good read. Uh, Tana, I could do this for five more hours, so let's come back anytime. I would love that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Feel Strong Fitness Podcast. Please subscribe and leave a five-star rating if you have the time. That makes a really big difference. If you have questions, you want details, DM us on Instagram at feelstrongfit. There's more information on the website at feelstrong.me. We value effectiveness, individualization, and empathy. See what it's like to have an expert in the field, really listen, hear what you need, and build you the perfect program to get you where you want to go. Today is the perfect time to get started. Reach out.